Welcome to the second series of podcasts focusing on innovative design trials from the Health Research Authority, the NIHR CRN Coordinating Centre, and in this series, the NIHR Office for Clinical Research Infrastructure. This time, we will be discussing some of the key learning points from the COVID-19 pandemic, and we will be building on the further questions around the management and delivery of complex, innovative design trials during the pandemic. My name is Alan Gore, and it's a pleasure to have you with us. I'm joined today by Emma Gray, who is Assistant Director of Research at the MS Society. Dr Gray leads the strategic development of the MS Society's broad research programme. She has responsibility for funded research programmes from the UK MS Register, the MS Society Tissue Bank and Translational Centres of Excellence to a novel and evolving innovative clinical trials programme. She's led the academic and patient community in the development of an efficient clinical trials platform for MS called Octopus, which will utilise a multi-arm, multi-stage design. Before joining the MS Society in 2012, she gained a PhD in molecular neuroscience and worked as a postdoctoral researcher at the former MRC Centre for Neurodegeneration Research. Dr Gray, thank you very much for speaking with me today. Hi there. In my introduction, amongst your many roles, I mentioned your involvement with the clinical trials platform Octopus, and I would like to focus on that, if I may, especially how the trial was designed as a community of equals. But perhaps first you could tell us a little bit about what the Octopus platform was designed to do. Yeah, thank you. So Octopus is really the culmination of many years of work by the MS community to tackle what is a huge unmet need in MS, and that's the treatment of progressive MS. So there are more than 30,000 people living in the UK with MS, and most live with a progressive form of the condition and have sadly no way to slow or stop the accumulation of permanent disability. And you know what we wanted to do was Octopus to change that. So just to give you a little bit of background, if I may, so there are over a dozen licensed disease-modifying treatments for people with the earlier relapsing form of MS, you know, and these treatments reduce frequency and severity of relapses or, you know, immune attacks, it's sometimes known as. Um, and there are also some emerging for early active progressive MS, but there are still lots of people without treatment. Um, and the ones that do exist um, work on only sort of one aspect of MS. So that's the immune system. So these treatments are immunomodulatory. So in progressive MS, what we really need to do is to slow, you know, or, or stop neurodegeneration. So what we'll also need in our, you know, our armory to treat MS are treatments that can uh, promote remyelination or repair myelin. So that's the protective layer that surrounds our nerve fibres, which is damaged in MS by those immune attacks. Um, and also we'll need treatments that are neuroprotective. So these protect the nerves themselves from further damage. And finding these two types of treatments will ultimately revolutionise the way MS is treated. So that's what Octopus you know, it's designed to do. It will speed up the development of novel or repurposed treatments that can slow or stop accumulation of disability progression. So really what we want is no one to have to worry about their MS getting worse. And just very, very quickly, we'll start by testing. We'll use standard of care and three active drugs, um, which will broadly focus on those different mechanisms of neuroprotection and remyelination. So ultimately MS will be treated by a combination of treatments. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about who the stakeholders within the MS community were um, who were involved in the design of the study and perhaps how you went about getting them involved. 
So there are, there are many stakeholders, as you can imagine. So for the MS research community, we had neurologists, statisticians, basic scientists, you know, and specific trial methodologists. Um, we also had people affected by MS, as well as other MS organisations nationally and internationally. But importantly, we looked outside of the MS community and cross-condition as well. And we were actually hugely inspired uh, by the use of adaptive design and how it was pioneered in the oncology field in trials, you know, such as the Stampede Prostate Cancer Trial. And we actually worked really closely with Professor Max Palmer at UCL, who designed that trial. And uh, the MRC CTU at UCL, which he directs, is actually going to be running this trial alongside Professor Jeremy Chatterway, also from UCL, as the chief investigator who has great experience in running large trials in progressive MS. So we looked at, I guess we looked at partnerships across MS and other conditions. We also engaged um, with colleagues at NIHR and at the Clinical Research Network and industry too. And also can't forget in sort of large initiatives like this, the MS Society donors. So, you know, we all know that these uh, multi or multi-stage trials, whilst, you know, can be highly efficient, still cost considerable funds. You know, and we're a medium-sized charity, so we really needed to, I guess, up our game when it came to fundraising for MS research. So what we had to do was to launch a um, £100 million Stop MS Appeal, which, amongst other things, will fund Optimus. So to bring all of these people together, in 2018, we launched an open and inclusive multidisciplinary which, uh, initiative, which we called our Expert Consortium. So the research community applied to join. And actually what we did was we invited everyone to join. Um, and people affected by MS were recruited from our um, patient public involvement research network. Um, and the membership of this consortium were given a really clear objective, which was quite simply, I mean, it's not simple, but simply to design and deliver an efficient clinical trial platform to speed up the development of new treatments to slow or stop progression of MS. And what we ended up with was an expert consortium of about 60 odd people um, and the MS Society funded, we ran this and we funded all aspects of the initiative, including any underpinning research required to meet that objective. Was it, was it difficult to get buy-in to the project from these different groups? Um, actually, it wasn't. Uh, so once we'd created the expert consortium, the structure itself to focus the efforts, it, it wasn't. But one thing is worth highlighting and it's worth bearing in mind that, you know, setting this up in 2018 was on the back of over 10 years worth of work, I guess, by the MS Society as, as a trusted broker of MS research and especially investigator led collaborative clinical trials. And also the environment of an actually a pretty cohesive and collaborative MS research community, both nationally and internationally, as well as uh, having a uh, PPI and the MSIT's research network fully embedded in MS research for many years, championed both by ourselves, but also by the MS research community themselves. So I guess you'd say we kind of had all the bits um, and all the partnerships and relationships and the, were there, it just needed a structure. And actually we had already had a bit of a trial run at this. Um, so we uh, sort of back in 20, 2007, 2008, set up the UK MS Clinical Trials Network. Um, and it, the MS Clinical Trial Network supported MS Clinical Trials in the UK, but um, it also supported collaborative designing clinical trials in a collaborative way. And it was chaired by the wonderful Professor Sue Pavitt from Leeds, who we recruited as an independent, i.e. she's not a MS expert, but is an expert clinical trial methodologist. And she really helped us bring the community together. And it designed a multi-arm trial called MS Smart, which was actually funded in the end by NIHR EMI. 
the EMI board and the MS Society with support from the National MS Society in the US. So kind of we'd had we'd had a first stab at this, if you like. Um, and I guess the thing I'd say is that we really you really need the entire research community for, for something like this. You know, various reasons such as scale, buy into recruitment. If you can't recruit to something of this scale, you, you've got no trial. So, you know, it must be open to all. We must hear all views and build a consensus or it, it kind of falls apart. But we had all those bits I guess they're ready to be to, to be cultured. In practice, how did this co-design work? I'm particularly interested in how it might have the, the pandemic might have presented some unusual challenges for you. So as I've described, we set up an expert consortium and they designed all aspects of the platform together. So what we did was we split them into two strategy areas. So treatment selection was one and then design and delivery was the other. Um, and we selected uh, chairs from the MS research community who were experienced but could galvanise the group. And importantly, they only uh, they couldn't receive direct funding for the activity, so they were seen as independent. And then people um, affected by MS were, I mean, I haven't actually mentioned this because they were actually involved in every aspect of it, from the steering groups, the strategy groups, the working groups. Um, and actually, we set up a, um, a patient public involvement uh, working group within it with their, with their own budget, so people with MS could, could choose what, they could spend the money on for the activity they needed to do uh, to answer the, this sort of big objective. So, so back to the kind of the core strand. So the treatment selection group were tasked with, as you could imagine, selecting treatments. They had to identify a short list of promising potential repurposed treatments that you could start a platform trial with. It contained a broad range of experts, including collaborations with the Medicines Discovery Catapult and people with MS who were, at, who were equals in, in developing this shortlist. And we're actually incredibly helpful when uh, selecting the shortlist of treatments, because ultimately you've got to ask someone with MS, you know, would you take this? Would you adhere to it? So they were, they were fundamental. Um, the design and delivery group had to look at methodology, statistical design, selecting outcome measures such as interim outcomes, recruitment infrastructure, and again, PPIE. Um, and as I said, the, the group had a own funding pot just dedicated to PPI. So the MS Society supported underpinning grants that were required by these working groups so and we spent over I guess about three hundred thousand pounds um and it was it was really worth taking the time and the money to design it properly together um you know for example if you want a quality statistician to spend time designing a trial well you're going to have you know you're going to have to fund it you know these things can't be done by you know a few nice working group meetings it just doesn't work like that so, you know, in terms of the pandemic, fortunately, the expert consortium had completed uh, sort of the design of the underpinning work and the majority of the design work before the pandemic hit. So what, uh, you know, what COVID has done is delayed setting up the trial and then the, all the contracting bits with UCL who run the bid to deliver it. And obviously, therefore, the commencement of, you know, enrollment recruitment, which was incredibly disappointing. But some activities, you know, we have... Uh, continued over the last year so you know we had an entertaining um, online contract signing ceremony um, we've had set up trial management groups in the governance um, you know actually for people with MS to do remote uh, focus groups PPI activities been actually really great for them and we've been able to actually engage a wider group of people with MS who don't have to you know travel to a, a focus group they can do it via Zoom so that's been really productive um, and I think what's really helped us is we had really well-established relationships and, you know, helped so we didn't lose the momentum. And I'd also potentially suggest there have been, you know, dare I say, some good things, you know, from the pandemic. 
you know, so the MS clinical trial community learned more about remote monitoring in their existing trials, um, you know, and those efficiencies that they serve and can we add them into Octopus? You know, trials like Recover have highlighted and raised a profile of adaptive design and clinical trials for the general public, which is not a bad thing. Um, you know, we've had time to kind of mull over the treatment selection shortlist and some of the statistical aspects together as a group, challenge our thinking again, you know, which really is never a bad thing. So we, 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 we've survived... <laughs> I think we've survived the pandemic, you know, as, as, as a community and hope to uh, start recruiting towards the end of this year is the plan. I think it's always good to reflect on how such projects have gone. And I wonder what lessons you would say you had learned from the whole process of this co-design um, and maybe what single piece of advice you would give to anyone about to embark on something similar. So it's a really important question. So sort of the lessons I've learned and some, I'll go on to a piece of advice, but really is about openness and inclusivity. So, you know, if, if everyone's involved and everyone has a voice, everyone comes with you. Um, and that's really, really important. And it's not just about getting buy-in, it's about diversity of views and bringing in people from other conditions that have views and experiences that, you know, you've never dreamed of. So um, I think that's been a really important lesson but also having really, really focused objectives and timelines. So, you know, I've worked, I've worked in MS research for over nine years and I've worked in enough kind of, you know, purely academic collaborations that if you don't focus the objective and the timelines, you know, scientists want things to be perfect sometimes. And actually, you don't have to have something perfect. It has to be good enough to meet the objective. So being a society, you know, I had to be quite clear about this doesn't have to be perfect, but you have to meet this objective and this timeline and making sure that everybody has a role in that. So, you know, for me as you know, my staff team, it was about not telling the scientists or people with MS what you should do, but it's just about keeping everyone on track, you know, steering it, steering the strategy, working the budget, setting up meetings, doing whatever needed to be done to keep everyone together. Um, and I guess I've learned how important the community is and, you know, the influence that if you bring in a, you know, a broad range of people together, the influence and the networks that they have beyond your own. So it kind of really, it, it kind of generates this kind of, I guess, rolling enthusiasm that, that branches out beyond where you can imagine and brings in experts that you don't know. Um, so really being open to that um, is a great opportunity. And the other thing, I first last thing I'd say before I give a piece of advice is just to really enjoy it. It's been, you know, the most wonderful couple of years working with people with MS, working with statisticians, you know, all, all different people. And it's just a lot of fun if you kind of have a really focused goal and great people around you, you know, it's a really great thing to do. Um and you asked me kind of one piece of advice would be that relationships and community are key um, and they have to be built up. Um, you can't, you can't, you really have to invest the time in um, working with people with MS, having a research network, you know, working with the MS research community, having some examples of some wins where you've, you know, you've been seen to have, you know, you've been in support of the research community and helped make things happen. So you have to, you have to earn it, I think. Um, so for a project like this, where you've got all these different, you know, aspects of a clinical trial have to come together, you need an honest broker and charities have quite a good role in that, uh, especially if you've, seen, if you've done it, you know, if you've done it before. Um, so, yeah, I would say that, uh, you know, it's a great thing to do, but you need to invest in relationships and your community and everyone as equals together from the beginning. You can't just bring in a PPI focus group at the end of it. It doesn't work like that. You'll have to be it from the start. You know, and I'm really looking forward to the future and seeing the results of Octopus. And I really hope that it will produce results that, you know, change the lives of people with MS. 
I think you very effectively highlighted the, the importance of, of bringing the entire research community together in a, in a common purpose, especially ensuring everyone is involved. And as you said earlier on, ensuring everyone has a voice. Um, Dr. Gray, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with me today. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We would very much welcome your feedback on these podcasts and I hope you will join us again next time.